Take a seat, young Skywalker. listen to this you know you found yourself something good welcome back to another episode of the barber's chair i'm your host austin maddox and uh today we are going to be talking to shahe jurgen who is in the country of australia right now and got me to thinking a lot about life outside of the united states you know i've uh i've never been one of those world traveling people i think it would be very interesting to go to to some of the different uh, countries here in this world. Uh, I wouldn't mind going on a missionary trip at some point or another, but uh, just to go for fun has never been exactly my cup of tea. And maybe, you know, thinking about the United States, uh, there's there's so many different aspects to the United States. You know, we have big city, we have rural towns, we have mountains, we have valleys, we've got deserts and oceans and all these type of things that uh, I... I I suppose the one thing that America doesn't have would be a rainforest, but, um, you know, I, I don't have a big desire to go to a rainforest at that. But, um, you know, I've never had a huge desire to to go to someplace outside of the United States. Australia is one of those places I've I've often thought about going. I wouldn't mind going to Europe uh, and seeing, seeing the sights there in many different uh, countries and the history. I do, I do enjoy the history part of it, but you know that's that's never been something that's that's just been top of my priority list to do. Now there, there are people that that absolutely love uh, to travel across this world and and see the sights and hear the sounds and visit the people and um, you know really really get to know what what makes makes each place different and unique and been thinking about that, and that is important too. It's important that we understand that there is a really big world outside of our own little bubble, and uh, we don't start thinking of ourselves more more highly than than we ought to think, as as the Bible warns us not to do. Um, there are many things in this world that are truly spectacular, and um, you know I like America, I really do. Uh, I've I had a show about how much I. I enjoy America and the things in it, but, you know, and this is perhaps a, a Christian attribute um, that I'm trying to learn and maybe others uh, are trying to as well, and, and that's to realize that, you know, the United States is not the be-all, end-all of the world. It's, uh, it's, a, it's a nice place to live. It's a wonderful place to live, in my opinion. Um, got a lot of great things that it offers, but... You know, there are lots of places in this world, and just because you're from a different place or, uh, you know, live live a different life than, than an American does, that, that doesn't make you any better or any worse or anything else. It's just uh, just different. And, and I think it's nice. I think it's important that we understand that there are all kinds of differences here in this world, and uh, we do as much as we possibly can to... Um, to understand some of those differences and not just 
again, be in our own little bubble and not really think about anyone else or anything else in this world except for ourselves. There's, there's a whole lot of people out there, and um, they're all just trying to live. They're just trying to do their best in this life, just, just like we all are. And, um, you know, it's also true that all those people out there, they need the gospel just as much as just as much as anyone does. And uh, we'll, we'll talk with Shahe a little bit about that, and uh, we look forward to that. And, uh, you know, here's, here's a little bit of a assignment, if you will, or, or a challenge. Uh, message me a, a country that, that you would like to go to that you haven't been to before that you think is, uh, is really interesting. Message me that, and uh, we'll give you a shout-out on next week's show. Again, tell me what country you want to you wanna go to, and uh, we'll, we'll talk about those countries, and, uh, yeah, give you a shout-out. Anyway, stay tuned. We're going to listen to, uh, we're going to have an interview, rather, with Shahe Jurgen. He's going to tell us a little bit about the land down under. So stay tuned. Welcome back. Joining us today is a man from a land down under, and that is Shahe Jurgen. How are you today, Shahe? I'm doing great, Austin. How are you? Oh, fantastic. Thank you for coming on the show and uh, answering some questions for us. My pleasure. Uh, so how are things there in Australia? Well, things are going really well here. Um, many people may not be aware of the fact that we actually weren't supposed to be here right now. Uh, we mm -hmm. moved to Malaysia last fall, September, October time period, and, and we came to Western Australia uh, to visit the Brethren in March of this year. And then when the world shut down, we got <laughs> sort of uh, stranded here when uh, Malaysia closed their borders, and we've been here ever since. Uh, but here, we are doing really, really well. Uh, we've been really blessed in Western Australia, especially, to have uh, almost no cases of the coronavirus. There was a brief lockdown period here that was mostly precautionary, and mm -hmm. that has all, all been lifted. Uh, the borders in Australia between the states remain closed, so travel is still very restricted in this part of the world. It remains restricted between here and Southeast Asia. Malaysia's borders are still closed. But in Western mm -hmm. Australia, everything is going really well. And we're, we're just tremendously blessed to have been here when everything happened the way that it happened and sure. have been able to engage in the church work here locally uh, as well as doing some other things. So for us here, it's been really uh, a tremendous last few months. We've been, we've been very fortunate, very blessed. Well, you know, that's that's great to hear. Um, you know, frankly, it's it's just nice to hear some kind of good news here in the States. You know, uh, every day you wake up and something terrible has happened, you know, again. So so any kind of good news, you know, uh, abroad is, is just an absolute breath of fresh air. So, um, you know, it, it's interesting to me, you know, many people in, in the United States, they will proudly say that that the U.S. the U.S. is just it's the greatest country in the world, and yet, you know, many many of those people haven't actually ventured outside of their own county very much, let alone their own state. So, 
Um, as someone who has who has traveled uh, quite a bit, I know, you know, before this particular missionary trip, you've been you've been abroad before. Um, so, what are the, some of the refreshing things? Some of the good things that you see in other countries that that we just fail at here in the United States. Well, I, I think you're you're right. Of course, I'm, I'm I mean I'm American. I love America. Uh, there are sure. many things that I miss about America, but I do think that uh, for many people, and this is not just a uniquely American problem. You run across this in other places as well. It seems like a lot of people in the world uh, fail to look outside their community and their neighborhood and especially their country to see uh, the the broader global perspective about life. And uh, you're right that uh, I, my wife and I, we've been blessed uh, to be able to do a good bit of traveling, uh, just both personally for, for fun, but also for the work of the church. Uh, I've had opportunities to preach the gospel in uh, the United Kingdom and Russia, Cairo, Egypt, and Bangladesh, and of course in Malaysia and now in Australia. And all of those places have had their own uh, unique things that I really liked about them. And one of the, the truths that I have learned uh, that has really had a profound impact on the way that I view the world is that no matter where I go, I encounter basically the same thing. I encounter human beings. <laughs> and obviously there are lots of cultural and religious and philosophical ideologies that are often, I think, used to divide people against each other. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a growing sense of tribalism in America, and, and us versus them, our team, your team, and the most important right. thing to our team is that your team gets destroyed. <laughs> and, yes, yes. and that obviously is a very destructive way of, of looking at life, looking at the world. And so when you get outside of that, that American bubble, and you get to mingle with people uh, from across the world, you really learn that people are people everywhere, that everyone is just trying to uh, have as best a life as possible. They're trying to seek for deeper meaning to uh, existence, and, and people most, most of the time are just going about their business and living their life. And mm -hmm. it's a wonderful thing to be able to encounter that and to meet people where they are uh, and to be able to come to the realization that America, though it's a wonderful country and has uh, a great many wonderful things about it, is not the end-all, be-all of human civilization. Right, and that's um, that's something, yeah, very very easily missed. But like you said, you know, we we do, frankly, create these own little little bubbles that um, it's us versus them, and yeah, there's there's so much division right now. Um, I, I feel like particularly here in the United States, but uh, perhaps you know these sentiments are are shared shared abroad as well on the, on the some of the current social political issues but um yeah it's uh it's an important thing for us to to look beyond that look beyond ourselves and try to to empathize with other people and like you said you're just running across people and i think that's one of the one of the important things you know the bible talks about as far as uh, uh there's nothing new under the sun you know there's there's new things to us as individuals but 
the the problems and the triumphs of humanity have uh, have been the same since more or less the dawn of time. Yeah, that's right. Uh, you know, when you think about the idea of tribalism and the us versus them mentality, there's nothing new about that. Obviously, mm-hmm. there's there's absolutely nothing new about that. In fact. We see it in the Bible. We see it on the, the pages of the book of Acts and the writings of the Apostle Paul, who struggled a great deal with uh, transitioning the mindset of the earliest Christians who were all Jewish mm-hmm. uh, to the reality that the kingdom of God was global and was for the Gentiles as well, and that in Christ all of those old divisions between uh, the slave and the free man, men and women, and most importantly of all, between the Jew and everybody else, were erased. And so right. you think about uh, the, the great congregations of the early days of the church, like Antioch, that mm-hmm. understood the importance of looking beyond your little community. And by the way, in an age where communication and travel was nothing, <laughs> nothing like it is today, I mean, it's... It's embarrassing how easy we have it uh, in so many respects. You and I are having this conversation now from the opposite sides of the globe with, you know, almost Mm -hmm. no lag in between uh, each of us speaking. And and that's an amazing, amazing thing. Yeah. And so uh, we have it a lot easier. Feed, we might add. (laughs) That's right. They are not sponsoring, but we thought we might mention them. Though clean feed, if you're listening and would like to sponsor this podcast, you know, just send Austin an email. (laughs) That's that's right, absolutely. (laughs) Yeah. So the the ancient uh, Antioch congregation, you know, the probably the most missionally minded church in the first century that we know about, uh, recognized that even though there was a tremendous work going on in their own community, where Jews and Gentiles for the very first time were worshiping together. That's why they were called Christians first at Antioch. They understood Mm -hmm. that the gospel was not just for the province of Syria and Judea, that the gospel was for everyone. And so they took these preachers, Paul and Barnabas, and they threw them on a boat, and they sent them uh, throughout (laughs) the whole world, three times, in fact. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, you know, that, that's, a, that's a tremendous, I think, a trem- should be a tremendous encouragement to us that if they were able to do it with the rudimentary communication and travel options that were available to them, how much more so will the Lord hold us accountable when we have been blessed with su- such technology to be able to take the gospel to the corners of the earth? That, that is so very true. And, you know, that was a day and time. It was a brutal time in history, and you know, every time they put them on a boat, they didn't know if they were going to come back alive, um, or you know, uh, or how to even, I'm sure, come up with any kind of communication that they had been uh, killed outside of you know personal letters. So, so they obviously the risk were just so much higher than oftentimes what we are are willing to take or consider, but. Um, yeah, we have we have such an overabundance of of tools at our hand that um, we need to be very considerate about how how we're using those. Well, that's right, and and not to mention, of course, that uh, the days when the Apostle Paul was was traveling the Mediterranean world, he was being actively pursued by men who literally wanted to kill him and mm-hmm. attempted to do so several times. 
And uh, this, this conversation reminds me of one of the amazing passages that Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians uh, 15, when he is writing about the resurrection, and he makes the statement uh, in the midst of his argument to convince those Corinthian brethren of the reality and indeed the certainty of the future general resurrection of the dead. He, he says in verse 31, I affirm, brethren, by the boasting in you, which I have in Christ Jesus our Lord, I die daily. And the crux of the argument in that section is, uh, why, are, why am I, the Apostle Paul, putting my life on the line every day for King Jesus if I wasn't absolutely convinced that he was going to redeem my body and raise me from the dead? Right. And so you think about what life was like every morning for the Apostle Paul. He woke up not knowing if that would be the day, if that would be the day that he would die in service to Christ. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, I'm not in any way um, a man who diminishes the reality of the problems that people face in our modern age. Uh, there are many, many problems uh, that are confronting us, including this current pandemic, which is not just uh, killing hundreds of thousands of people. It's having a, a negative impact on so many of the no of the normal uh, ebb and flow of life that we have taken for granted. But mm -hmm. when, when we look at these problems, and, and maybe I'm seeing it a little with a little rose-tinted glass because I'm here safe in Western Australia, not in America right now, <laughs> but uh, I think when, when we put ourselves side by side with the Apostle Paul, we have to come to the realization that we are spoiled, uh, not, just, not just fortune and blessed, we're, we're spoiled. Yes. And and I, I'm afraid what that has caused is just a sort of a sense of apathy mm -hmm. when it should uh, inspire us to, to greater heights. And so I think that, that, you know, we have to make sure we come back to what we were talking about a minute ago, which is having a global perspective, especially when it comes to evangelism. Mm -hmm. uh, we have to look beyond the old argument. I've heard some brethren in the past who have said, well, there are plenty of people in America who need to hear the gospel. Why should we spend money to send a preacher to the other side of the planet? Mm -hmm. And if Antioch had that mindset, you know, what would have happened to the ancient church? It never would have left that small province there in the eastern side of the Mediterranean, and mm -hmm. uh, the church probably eventually would have just died out. So we have to, right. we have to look outward, and we've been given tools uh, to be able to do that easier than at any other time in history, and mm -hmm. I think the Lord will hold us to account if we fail to do that. I think you're right. And, you know, the case is with, with a lot of these places that you're talking about where they they feel very strongly that, you know, we need to just stay put and stay right where we're at is a lot of those places, um, those communities socially and economically have been in decline, and thus the church itself is been in decline in, in some uh, in some cases because the people that they have been in contact with either aren't there anymore or have passed or have moved on, moved on to greener pastures and uh, the church has just stayed put they haven't they haven't advanced so there's uh yeah there's I think we will be held accountable for the fact that that we don't go out that we don't pursue more than uh, than we have in the past. 
Yeah, you know, when, when the lockdown was in effect for, for most of America uh, there during those couple of months back in the spring, I was really excited uh, and impressed with the number of our brethren who realized that we had to change the way that we were, we were doing things. And so you saw this flurry of online activity, mm-hmm. and I thought that was, that was wonderful. That was a good thing. It showed that we were being adaptable. We weren't just uh, going to sit back and you know, wait for normalcy to return, whatever that might be and whenever that might right. happen. And I, I hope that brethren will keep that up. I've seen some who have and some who have sort of fallen off. Uh, mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's, I think, if we will learn to use the Internet uh, as effectively as possible, and I am no expert here. There are, there are people who understand uh, leveraging social media platforms way, 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 <laughs> way better than I do. Uh, but we need to find out who those experts are in our congregations and right. put them to work. Mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I can't tell you, Austin, I'm sure you've, you've heard this too, how many uh, Christians, especially young Christians, who will, who will say, well, I, I don't know what I can do for the church. I'm not a good song leader, and mm-hmm. I'm too afraid to give a lesson, and I don't know enough about the Bible to conduct a study, and so I just there's nothing that I can really offer. Uh, and of course, I, I don't necessarily believe that's true for most people anyway. But even if it mm-hmm. is true, I think a lot of our young people <laughs> understand how the internet works, and they mm-hmm. understand how mm-hmm. to use social media. And so mm-hmm. I hope that church leaders, who maybe are not as comfortable with those uh, sorts of technologies, will leverage the expertise of our younger members and try to get them on board with starting a congregational Twitter account, you know, and and post a few uh, videos or sermons or links or Bible verses. I think, by and large, most of our folks are doing well on Facebook. We've got a a pretty good Facebook presence. Um, Mm -hmm. I know, you know, very little about Instagram and Snapchat and and all of these are the platforms that I think, well, I mean, why couldn't we be using these uh, to, exactly. to promote the gospel. So I, I, I do hope that folks will uh, think about that and try to find some young people at your congregation who are already on these platforms and already understand how they work, and sit down and have a conversation and say, okay, how can we use this for the cause of Christ? How can we use this to reach out to our community with the gospel? Mm-hmm. And, and for those for those young people, you know, what do you see that that gains the most uh, the most attention? What what kind of things, you know, whether it's uh, it's a post or a picture or a video or the length of video or, you know, yeah, those those are the the people that are, you know, invested that uh, spend more time on it than than the the elderly presumably. Um, those are the ones that we do need to be in contact with about that, and that that is a, a valuable work, and it shouldn't should never be diminished. Yeah, I mean, e- even though for the most part, uh, in in America at least, uh, you know, states have reopened and folks are are not in lockdown anymore, people are still spending a lot more time at home. At least from mm-hmm. what I have read, uh. In the last few months, people are are apprehensive about being out. They're apprehensive about going to their old normal activities where lots of people might be gathered. Mm -hmm. And so I I don't think we should, uh, just because lockdown has ended, we should abandon the good work that we were doing uh, just a few months ago. 
And uh, that might mean that we have to pivot in the way that we do some of these things. Uh, But Mm -hmm. I think that if we're willing to put in the effort, we'll see the results. I mean, brethren, you know, there were a lot of brethren who were very apprehensive about going to television back in the 1960s. And uh, thankfully, you had a group of people who were willing to sponsor a program with Ronnie Wade called Let the Bible Speak, and no one can Mm -hmm. deny the effect that that program had on promoting the gospel in this in in America. I almost said this country. I'm in Australia. <laughs> uh, well, perhaps we, we don't know, know but <laughs> we don't know. Who knows the reach of Ronnie Wade? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> um, you may and be so, out in the bush you know, somewhere, and <laughs> that's that's exactly right. Now, obviously, television has had its heyday, and it's it's on the decline, and so we mm-hmm. have to adjust to that reality. Uh, exactly. And I think if we will, we might be able to find. We, who knows? We, we might not have even uh, discovered what the next "Let the Bible Speak" equivalent would be. Right. And it may be something as technology is changing so quickly that's yet to come. And when it comes, we need to be ready for it, and we need to jump on it as as best we can. You know, just uh, one other thing about that: uh, Columbia and Jefferson City sponsored a "Let the Bible Speak" television show for many, many years. Mm-hmm. And I don't know, maybe it was about seven, six or seven, six years ago or so, we just decided that it, it had dried up. Uh, the, the reach was lackluster. The cost was very expensive to continue mm-hmm. that program. And so those, those congregations that were involved in, in sponsoring it, we made the decision that that money could be better spent elsewhere and that was a hard decision for Rice Road, for Columbia, where you are now, my congregation of nine years, right. uh, be- because it was like we were abandoning something that um, had been handed down from our elders and entrusted mm-hmm. to us to keep going. Mm-hmm. And there may be other things like that that we think that they're sacred cows and we can't change them because we've been doing them forever. Right. Uh, but we have to adapt. And, and that's, I think that's, we see that in Paul, right? In Paul, mm-hmm. in, in Acts, what does he do in that first missionary journey almost exclusively? He goes to the synagogue. Mm-hmm. And it's not until the second journey when uh, after his experience in Thessalonica, and the Jews from Thessalonica chase him to Berea, and then he goes down to Athens and Corinth, where we see this transition, where he finally shakes the dust off his feet and says, okay, I've had enough with these people who want to kill me all the time. I'm going <laughs> to the Gentiles now. Right. And and we can see the, the effects that that had um, on the church as well. So, so yeah, it's, it's being able to, to let go understand that you know if something continually isn't working that it is it's okay we can give ourselves that permission to to let go of non-useful platforms of spreading the gospel and uh and start using ones that that are successful um and that's it's difficult for us to learn sometimes because we're creatures of habit or uh, we're nostalgic or whatever the case might be but um an, an important one, nonetheless. Now, uh, I do have some questions as far as how people are accepting the gospel abroad. 
Uh, of course, we, you know, the U.S. is a, uh, I hesitate to say Christian-based, but, um, uh, you know, founding-wise, people, I suppose, have heard the gospel very frequently here. Uh, what What's the sentiment about the gospel um, in other parts of the world, particularly there where you're at in Australia or uh, in Malaysia, uh, where you spend some time? Well, the uh, just you know on your um, your premise, I, I will just say something about that before I, I talk about uh, my experience in, in some of the countries where I've been. Sure. I I think we do we do have this idea that most people in America they've heard about Jesus, they've heard maybe some form of the gospel, they know about the Bible, they know about Christianity, and and they've mostly made up their mind one way or the other. But, you know, Austin, I'm not sure if that's entirely true anymore. Um, maybe there was a time where that could have been said, and I'm, you know, I'm not a professional historian. But I think what we're having, uh, what we're seeing now in America is twofold. Number one, we're seeing one of the first generations in America, at least in a long time, that was raised by parents who themselves had abandoned religion before their children were born. And so people who are your age and younger mm -hmm. may be one of the first generations in American history, at least for the last hundred years, that were raised by, by increasingly irreligious parents. Very and the, the people who are uh, the late millennials and the early Gen Zers and beyond I don't really know how many of them genuinely have heard a presentation of the gospel or have mm -hmm. been given an opportunity to, to actually sit down with somebody to talk about who Jesus is and why he matters. Right. So it may, you know, it may be that they have some passing familiarity. Maybe they've had Christian friends or, or something like that, uh, or denominational friends. But I don't know. I don't know how many young people in America these days actually have heard the gospel presented to them, uh, someone making the case for Christ to them. And even mm -hmm. beyond that, those who have been raised in the denominational world, I don't think they really have heard the true gospel. The denominational gospel, uh, in addition to the fact that I don't agree with their version of the plan of salvation, mm -hmm. their, their presentation of the gospel itself, I think, is skewed. Uh, mm -hmm. If you go back to the influence of some of the great preachers of yesteryear in the denominational world, like Billy Graham, you mm -hmm. had this rise of the popularity of this doctrine, of this idea that, that God is just your buddy. He's just your pal, right. and he wants what's best for you, and uh, oh yeah, you know, sin stuff, that, okay, sure, that's over here in the corner. What's, what really matters is that God just wants to be your friend, and you just got to accept Jesus into your heart and he'll mm -hmm. save you. And you ask, well, you know, you think, well, save me from what? what from what do I need saving? Right. Um, uh, unsurprisingly, you know, a, people, <laughs> people don't really see him as an essential. <laughs> yeah, that's exactly right. So I, I do think that I'm not one of those people who believes that there's uh, no opportunity left for promoting the gospel in America and that we, we should only look to other places. I think that there may still be opportunities that we just haven't found good ways to tap into them yet. Uh, but, but to answer your question, really, uh, about Australia and, and Malaysia, 
obviously these two countries are extremely different. Um, Australia mm -hmm. is predominantly a westernized country uh, with people who what you know most Americans could easily identify with as being very similar to us. The culture is very similar, although Australian slang is absurd. <laughs> and I'm still trying to learn some of it because every once in a while someone will throw a word into a sentence and I literally have to Google it to have any <laughs> understanding of what the sentence meant. <laughs> like oh, I had this oh just my. the other day. Someone someone texted me and said, okay, I'll see you tomorrow in the Arvo. And I thought, Arvo, what is that? <laughs> Apparently that's Australian <laughs> slang for afternoon. Oh. How you get... <laughs> afternoon into Arvo, I have no idea, but that's the accepted there's, slang. <laughs> yeah, there's little, there's maybe two letters of that that actually are in yeah. the word itself. And I just, I don't get it. I don't get it. Yeah. But anyway, that aside, so <laughs> de denominationalism uh, has had its, its popularity here. Uh, you have mega churches here and, and things like that, community churches, other kinds of evangelical organizations. So there's a, a lot of variety of um, Christian professing groups here. And just like America also, Australia is seeing a, a very strong rise of secularism, agnosticism, atheism. Mm -hmm. um, so in, in many respects, those overlap uh, quite a bit. And the same challenges in preaching the gospel in America are present here. Most people are just not that interested or they already attend a church and they're not looking to change their church, things like that. And so, you know, it's it's a yeah, challenging... Yeah. Uh, uh, Keith Thompson, who is a, a phenomenal preacher and a wonderful man, he has been working with the church here, oh, I don't know, f over two or three decades, something like that. Uh, and Keith has a wonderful story of how he mm. came to know the truth and to learn the gospel. Um, but... And if anyone's interested in hearing more about that, actually, I interviewed Keith uh, not long after we got here back earlier this year. You can go to Christian Landmark to find that, and uh, really, Keith is a very impressive man, and and I have a lot of respect for him. And, and so, you know, mm -hmm. they've had some of the same challenges here. Now, one thing that happened here a few years ago, and I won't tell the whole story because I don't want to take up all of our time, is that they had an opportunity to start a new congregation in a community that has a large population of Aboriginal people. The mm -hmm. Aboriginal people of Australia are a historically um, oppressed people. Of course, Westerners, Western European people came here just like in America and sort of just took over the land, and mm -hmm. it, it dis displaced a lot of Aboriginal people and their lifestyle and their communities. And so there's a lot of tension between the Aboriginal community here and the uh, European-descended community here. So mm -hmm. it, it's a really neat opportunity to uh, try to promote the gospel in that community and to bridge that gap uh, between what many Aboriginal people see as invasive Westerners um, with the gospel, and so to show that Jesus is the King of kings of all people, and the Church is one body, uh, made up of all kinds of people from every corner of the globe. So that's uh, that's a real neat opportunity to be able to work in that community and and to meet people who have had a very difficult life, um, but who are interested 
in the message of, of Jesus Christ. Mm. Now, Malaysia is a whole nother can of worms. So Malaysia, <laughs> Malaysia is a very unique Southeast Asian country because uh, Malaysia, well, first Malaysia earned its independence in 1957 from British control. So it's still a very young country and it's a majority Muslim country. Uh, the, the Malay people, the ethnic Malay people, which make up between 55 and 60% of the population, are required by the constitution of Malaysia to be Muslim. Mm. It's not legal for them to abandon Islam and to change religions. Uh, mm. So that obviously presents... Uh, a singular dynamic. And then the right. rest of the population of Malaysia is broken down to about 25 or so percent ethnic Chinese. So you've had a lot of Chinese people uh, over the centuries for one reason or another who emigrated from China down to Malaysia. The last big migration was during World War II when Chinese people were fleeing China because of the Japanese occupation. Mm -hmm. And um, and then you have about 10% of Malaysia's population, which is ethnic Indian, and that population traces its roots to the days when the British were in charge, and they exported Indian labor <laughs> from India to Malaysia to work in the rubber plantations and to build the railroads. Uh -huh. So you have this very unique blend of Malay, Chinese and, and the Chinese are predominantly Buddhist or uh, Taoist or some are denominational and then about 10% Indian and they're predominantly Hindu, though some of them also are denominational Christians. So you drive down one street in Malaysia and within a few blocks you can pass a mosque, a Hindu temple, a Buddhist temple, and maybe a little church on the corner. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a remarkable place. Yes, it's a very remarkable place. And then you add on to that that Malaysia is a fairly stable country as far as its government is concerned, surrounded mm -hmm. by countries who have had history of, of instability. Uh, right. Myanmar and Vietnam, though Vietnam's been fairly stable for the last uh, few decades and Cambodia and Indonesia. So a lot of people immigrate to Malaysia because they can find better paying jobs there. It's very similar to what we see from Mexico and Central and South America coming into the United States. Okay. Um, so it's, it's, a, it's a strange place for sure. And mm -hmm. uh, because of that, you know, it creates its own sort of problems and challenges. Now, the, the communities that we have focused on primarily in our time there are a group of Burmese, from Myanmar, Burmese immigrants who came to Malaysia either as refugees or many of them came actually into Malaysia illegally looking for, for work. Mm -hmm. um, and they're there in Malaysia and they have their own, their kind of own little Burmese community. And we made contact with this community a few years ago through Facebook. Okay. And, and one of the preachers from this Burmese Pentecostal church contacted me when we were in Malaysia on a trip a few years ago and said, hey, will you come preach from my church? And I said, 
uh, did you have someone who can translate for me? And he said, yes, I can. And I said, <laughs> oh, sure, okay. All so right. <laughs> they set up a Saturday night service. I showed up having no idea what to expect. And I met this man whose name is Robbie. And not only could he translate, his full-time job is that he is a translator at the United Nations. He helps, <laughs> yes, he helps Burmese people fill out their uh, information through the United Nations refugee program. So he's a full-time interpreter. Uh, oh and so, and he is a phenomenal translator. So this sort of gave us an avenue into this community, and that's the community we've been trying to focus on. Now, it's been a very difficult road because um, most of these churches that I've had opportunities to preach at and have Bible studies with people from these churches, they are Pentecostal. Mm -hmm. And if anybody has ever known anyone from Pentecostalism, you know, I mean, they might as well not even be Christian uh, professing people. Mm -hmm. uh, the, the, the road from Pentecostalism to New Testament Christianity may be as long as the road from atheism to New Testament Christianity, mm -hmm. because you, you have to um, un, unlearn with them so much denominational jargon and baggage that mm -hmm. they just completely take for granted uh, and, and has just totally inundated everything they believe and everything they practice. So it's been, it's been difficult, um, and we've had to go very slowly in, in Bible studies and preaching in, uh, engagements, talking about you know preaching the most basic doctrines of the Bible like who is Jesus? I mean, Pentecostalism basically has this view of Jesus that he's sort of a, a, a cosmic vending machine, and I can just put in a few coins, which is prayer, or say something in tongues, and I'm going to mm -hmm. receive anything I want from Jesus. Uh -huh. uh, it's a very prosperity, gospel-oriented, religious mm -hmm. uh, ideology. So well, it's, it's sounds... a lot. It's a lot to work through. Right. Sounds like it also has... Uh, large elements of like Eastern spiritualism in that in that realm too. That's a great connection, and you're absolutely right. Uh, in fact, Pentecostalism has flourished in Southeast Asia because most of the people from these parts of the world who were reared in some sort of mysticism or some sort of pagan ideology. Uh, you know, they believed that the spirits controlled everything, spirits in the trees, spirits and whatever, and you had to uh, do these little rituals to ward off evil spirits and to invite good spirits. And so these Pentecostal missionaries came in, and they basically just substituted tree spirits with the Holy Spirit, and everything mm -hmm. else was left the same. So it, you can imagine how easy it was for Pentecostalism to thrive in Southeast Asia, and it has. Yes. It is by far uh, the dominant force for uh, Christian professing religious groups in Southeast, Southeast Asia, in, and not just among Burmese communities. In Malaysia, the Chinese churches are, are just absolutely dominated by this kind of Pentecostalism, as are many of the Indian churches. So mm -hmm. it is it is a force in Southeast Asia for sure. Mm. And that's that's so so disappointing, I'm sure, 
when you have people that, you know, they know of a Jesus, but they don't know the true God of the Bible or the true Jesus of the Bible. Um, but um, I'm sure because they are, they recognize a Jesus that they are therefore classified Christian in, in many uh, many people's minds. So that's yeah, that's truly truly a hurdle to to jump across. Yeah, and it, it sometimes makes it harder. In fact, I I think it might always make it harder if you're dealing with someone who knows. Uh, that he's not a Christian, has never professed to be one, but is open to the idea of Christianity, you at least mm -hmm. have a straight-line trajectory that you can follow. When you're dealing with people who not only believe they're already Christians, but are certain of it because they have been taught that if they can manifest certain signs, like tongue-speaking, uh, that they can be assured of their salvation. So not only do they believe they're Christians, they're highly confident that they're already Christians. And so moving back from that to a, a place where then people will be open to what the gospel message actually is, is extremely laborious. I, I can only imagine. Now, uh, one thing I am interested in, particularly in Malaysia, of course, uh, Australia being the uh, an English-speaking nation, but... Uh, one with, as you've said, some interesting slang. Um, when when you don't have uh, a guy like Robbie with you, who's who's a very good translator, uh, how how does the language barrier uh, affect you guys there? Yeah, that's a good question. Uh, not much, because since uh, Malaysia was under British rule for many ah. years, English was taught as a required language. Uh, for for all Malaysians. And even after the British left, Malaysia was um, forward-thinking enough to realize that English is the sort of the growing language of commerce and trade around the world. So mm -hmm. English is still, to this day, compulsory in Malaysia. Now, not everyone speaks great English. Uh, for some people, it's sort of like, you know, you in America, you take your two years of Spanish, and then mm -hmm. that's about it. And that's how it is for some people in Malaysia. But most folks in Malaysia, especially the ones who are of Chinese and Indian ethnicity, because it's emphasized more in those communities, are English-speaking. Um, in, especially, actually, in the Indian community. The English uh, is very, very good in the English community, a little bit less so in the, in the Chinese, ethnic Chinese community, um, mm -hmm. and maybe even then a little bit less than that in the Malay community. But by and large, you go to the grocery store, you go to a restaurant, uh, you're walking through the mall, which Malaysians love. Everything is a mall. <laughs> I mean, you know, it's like 1990s USA. There's a mall on every street corner. <laughs> And okay. it makes sense in Malaysia because it's a tropical climate, so it's wretchedly hot 365 mm -hmm. days a year. You want to get in the air-conditioned mall as fast as possible. You just drive from parking structure to parking structure, and then you get in that mall uh, real, real quick to get into the air conditioning. But So, you know, as, as you go about, you meet most people you meet are going to speak at least passable enough English to have a conversation. Now, having a full-on Bible study... That might be a little bit more difficult, but that doesn't. Sure. That, other than the Burmese community, where a translator is definitely required, I've not come across enough of a language barrier. Uh, it, we live in a 
when we're in Malaysia, of course, we live in an apartment building. And mm. the apartment building where we live actually is a, a very unique place because it just happens to be, for some reason, um, a- attractive to a lot of international uh, tenants. So <laughs> there are a lot of people at this apartment complex. And when I say apartment complex, uh, it's 34, 34, 33 stories high. Mm. Uh, these It's huge apartment, four apartment buildings that are on top, as you would expect, on top of a mall. So <laughs> from my apartment on the 26th floor, I just hop in the elevator and I can ride down to the mall and there's a Starbucks and a McDonald's and all kinds of ridiculous wow. stuff down there. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, um, so there are a lot of international students who okay. are living in Malaysia to get a degree uh, or there are a lot of international um, high-tech employees, people who are in software development or in engineering or something like that. And a bunch of them live in this apartment. So we, in this apartment, come in, and my wife especially, who's really involved in community activities for the kids especially, uh, we come into contact with people from Bangladesh and India and Pakistan and North Africa and other parts of South Asia. So it's really quite a melting pot and the one commonality is that almost everyone there speaks English because people who can who are from India or Pakistan or some other place, they will learn English in their home country. And then knowing that one of the places they can go is Malaysia, since most mm-hmm. universities conduct their classes in English. Uh-huh. Well, that's... Uh, I did not know that. That's, that's actually really, really interesting. Yeah, very convenient of, for us, for yes. us Yankees who you know just speak the one language and and are a real uh, pale in comparison. I mean, people, I, I'm amazed at people who are multilingual. It's it's so impressive mm-hmm. to me, brother, brother Vincent Sue, who is the main leader of the church uh, in Kuala Lumpur in Malaysia. He mm-hmm. speaks um, uh, he speaks English, of course. Uh, he speaks Mandarin. He speaks Cantonese. He speaks Malay, which is the language of, of Malaysia. So he's ethnic Chinese, but he's Malaysian, born and raised in, in Malaysia. And he speaks several other dialects of Chinese. So he speaks like over five languages fluently. Oh, wow. And I'm just over here with my pathetic English feeling <laughs> pretty bad about myself. <laughs> Um, uh, but thankfully, my my American ignorance of only knowing one language isn't too much of a, a harm, a detriment to me in Malaysia. It is one of the unique places in the world where we can go and be effective without needing a translator because English is so common. Well, that's that's absolutely wonderful. Um, and I, like you, am very impressed with the with the ability of bilingual people, um, or you know, however many languages that they speak, that's uh, tremendous. Yeah, it's, oh. it's something that, you know, something I think that uh, our brotherhood needs to take a little bit more seriously. Um, mm-hmm. with, our, with our son, when we were in Malaysia, of course, now we've been down here in Australia for a time, and, and hopefully it won't be too long before we can get back to Malaysia. Uh, but my son, Ethan, he's, he's four and a half now, and so he's mm-hmm. starting to get of school age. And just before we left Malaysia, we had enrolled him in a local school there in Kuala Lumpur because we wanted him to learn Mandarin. This was a school that taught 
uh, both English and Mandarin to its students. Mm-hmm. And I'm hoping that we can get back and that he can he can at least get a, a handle on the, the base of the language. I mean, Mandarin is a language that's spoken by over a billion people. Mm. Um, and I think that if we ever see a future where we want to take the gospel into China, our brotherhood wants to take the gospel into China, we mm-hmm. absolutely will need people who are fluent in Mandarin to do that. Yes. Yeah, there's, there's no scenario that won't serve him well in some facet of his life. Yeah, I, th- I think we take for granted, and, and I'm guilty of this myself, that English is becoming more ubiquitous around the globe, and in some respects it is. Mm-hmm. But when you can speak to people in their mother tongue, even if, even if they speak good English, mm-hmm. uh, if, you can, if you can communicate with people in their mother tongue you will have an effectiveness that is far beyond what you will have in speaking to someone in, at, at their second, third, or fourth language. And sure. so I think that's something that, that we, I encourage parents uh, to take very seriously with their children and consider the importance of foreign language training for your kids, because that, that will be the only way we will be able to bring the gospel to some parts of the world. And, and mm-hmm. there's still large parts of the world that don't emphasize English learning. You know, I've been to Russia a couple of times, and you, it's very rare to meet someone in Russia who can speak conversational English. So mm-hmm. we desperately depend for everything there on a translator. And right. that obviously that handicaps us. Mm-hmm. For sure. Yeah, uh, that's another aspect as well as social media that that we've been talking about and and using those outlets, but preparing ourselves for for those type of of works also. You know, not only abroad, but, you know, say we we run across someone here here in the States that is uh, um, from another country or speaks another language, but we need to be prepared for that. It shouldn't be something that we just leave to chance and hope everybody just, you know, adapts to us, uh, to our English, and hope they just, you know, figure it out. Otherwise, you know, they're uh, too bad for them. That's uh, That shouldn't be our our approach. But sometimes I, I feel like it might be. Okay, uh, one final question here before before we let you go. Um, and this is this is one of the reasons why I'm not sure if I could ever spend uh, do something like you're doing as far as you know spending extended periods of time in another country and that and that's the food. Uh, <laughs> I, I do like my American food. So uh, what's what's been your experience with with the food groups? <laughs> well, I'm a I'm a fairly adventurous eater, so. Uh... It's not as much of a challenge to me. Now here in Australia, it's it's you know there's a lot of Western food. They they like a lot of meat pies, and they'll serve literally anything with a side of French fries. <laughs> so if you're a good old fashioned French fry loving American, you do just fine here in in Australia. Okay. And I've you know I've done a bit of traveling around Europe as well, and you know you can find of course you can find American style food in a lot of places. Now in Malaysia. It's different, of course, and mm-hmm. they do have McDonald's. Oh, they love their McDonald's there. Oh, do they love their <laughs> McDonald's? 
Uh, there may be more McDonald's than gas stations in Kuala Lumpur. Oh my! So you know, there's no shortage of of Mickey D's if that's what if that's the fix that you need. If that's the only option available to you, I might be okay uh, but, then. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, no, you know, I, I, I like Asian food a lot. Uh, the Chinese food in Malaysia is the best I've ever had anywhere in the world. Um, the Indian food there is the best I've ever had in the world. It's I, And I like a lot of spicy food. Uh, they've got a lot of spicy food. I like the melee kind of uh, spicy noodles. They have curry, something called curry noodles that's very common there, very popular. And so, you know, it's we were worried about the kids. Liz and I are both adventurous eaters. We were we were worried about how the kids would do. Mm-hmm. And the my children's favorite restaurant in Malaysia is the Chinese food restaurant. Really? And they just okay. Oh yeah, my kids are my kids are half Asian now. I mean, they absolutely <laughs> love Chinese food and they like Indian food too. It's just, you know, spicier, so it's a bit difficult for them to handle some of those dishes, but uh, they they're really they're really adaptable. I've been I'm just amazed at how adaptable my kids are. You know, we we came down here like I I said st- we started this conversation in March. We didn't even bring all of our stuff. We were only supposed to be here for two weeks. Most of our stuff is still up in Malaysia in our apartment. Oh my! And so we came down here for just a two week trip. We didn't have any winter clothes. It's winter time now here. We're on right. the, you know, the Southern Hemisphere. We, we had winter clothes that we brought with us for the eventuality that we may end up in Australia during the winter time, but we mm-hmm. didn't bring any of them because it was still <laughs> late summer, uh, getting into early autumn when mm-hmm. we came down here. So, you know, we, we, of course you worry about your kids and how you're, but they're, they're just unbelievably adaptable. And, and so they're doing great. But you know, as far as the food goes, uh, I think you get hungry enough anywhere you are in the world, you get desperate <laughs> enough mm-hmm, and, mm-hmm. and you'll be just fine. I wouldn't worry about it, Austin. I think you could do just fine and you always have McDonald's to fall back on. So I think okay, you, you well. got to give it, got to give it a try, especially coming here to Australia. I mean, here in Australia, you can get any kind of normal Western food. They've got pretty good burgers here too. Okay. Um, I hope, I hope now that we're getting to the end of the show, maybe anyone in Australia who might've been listening has already fallen off. I mean, I, I will just say that American burgers are American burgers are better. Nothing beats an American burger, <laughs> but the Australians, okay. they, they do a, they do a passable burger. <laughs> well, well, that's, you know, we have to be good at, you know, something. We have to excel at oh, something. Oh, yeah, that's right. We, well and listen, hamburger. That's, nobody does beef like America. There's that's no right. doubt about it. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> well, um, hopefully, uh, Lord willing, whenever you guys get back, we need to, uh, we need to go down to St. Louis uh, to the tenderloin room and get another one of those mm. amazing ribeye steaks. I've been mm-hmm. the sad. The sad thing is that that steakhouse has ruined me for every other steak. It. I still love steak, but uh, this. I know. This is, I know. It's this is good. It's <laughs> like yes, you know. And I. I feel the same. Clint. Clint was the one. Clint de France was the one who introduced the tenderloin room to me, and I. I have felt the same way for years. You want to both mm-hmm. bless and curse him. Yes. <laughs> uh, and you know, I know James tells us we ought not to do that, but I really want to sometimes because I can't <laughs> eat a steak anywhere else either without thinking about the tenderloin room. Right. Right. Well. Thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate your time and um, just wish you the best in, uh, in your work there. And you're doing a good work and we're all 
rooting for you and praying for you, uh, for you and your family. And um, like I said, just wish you the best. Well, thank you so much, Austin. And we really appreciate uh, all the support and the love. And I know the many prayers which have been offered uh, to the Lord on our behalf. And it means a lot to us. Uh, we really, uh, you know, any, every time someone sends us a message just saying they're thinking about us or they've been praying for us, it, it really is very encouraging to know uh, that, that the saints are behind us. And so uh, we, we, of course, are enjoying ourselves, missing everyone at home, um, mm-hmm. but mostly just trying to stay focused on the work, and the Lord's been, been very good to, uh, to see us through that. And so we are praying, of course, for, uh, for everyone in America, and I know that it's been a, a very, very difficult six months or so, mm-hmm. um, but prayerfully this will behind us, be behind us soon, and we can get about doing, doing the Lord's work to the best of our ability with uh, full energy and no distractions. That's, that's our prayer as well. Well, thank you so much, and, and God bless, brother. Welcome back. We really appreciate that interview. And um, for our final trim, you know, I, when we talk about things that are different from us or unique from us or even new things in this world, I, I'm often reminded of uh, that verse in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 1. talks about how there's nothing new under the sun. It's interesting, you know, a few years ago there was a, there was a car company, I forget, which car company, but they made a, uh, a commercial, and that was their punchline. Uh, they had added all these brand new features, and they say, who said there's nothing new under the sun? And ever since then, it's just always gotten under my skin that that's, that's what people associate that verse with, and not understanding the truth behind it. There really is nothing new under the sun, and this is especially true when it comes to humanity. Now, there's uh, there's new things for humans to discover. Obviously, uh, we haven't discovered everything that there is to know. So, so it's new to us, but it's certainly not new to God. And humanity itself, the way it acts, the way it uh, behaves, the way that it interacts with one another, and particularly the sins that it has committed, yeah, there's nothing new about that. The... The sins that have plagued that plague us now have plagued mankind since the very beginning of time. That's not new, and uh, the common theme of these last few months is that we are living in unprecedented times. These are uh, these are brand new times. These are things we just never saw coming at all. Listen, folks, there's there's nothing new under the sun. What's going on today? It's it's new to us, perhaps, but it's not new to God, and it's certainly not new to humanity. It's just new to us because we're experiencing it for the first time. Um, whether you want to talk about, you know, racial inequality, or lying, or hysteria, or you know, even a pandemic. Uh, if you want to talk about people losing hope and faith, uh, 
Um, people feel like they're being oppressed. Yeah, none of those are new things. Those are, actually, historically speaking, very common things, very uh, mundane things in, in the whole scheme of humanity. We shouldn't be shocked by that. And I think oftentimes we are, and that's because we, we're just living exclusively in our moment, in our little bubbles, and we're not really looking at anything bigger. We're not looking particularly at the scriptures, which is where we should be looking at. And we should be able to know from the Bible that there are going to be evil things, that there are evil things out there. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be a great shock to us when these things occur. Uh, it shouldn't take us off guard, and honestly, it shouldn't wreck and destroy our faith either. And that seems to be happening more and more um, as, as you look around. There's people that, because they've never experienced it, because they've, they never thought it would happen to them, that suddenly their whole worldview just, just basically falls apart. As a Christian, that, that shouldn't happen. That shouldn't be what, what happens to us. We should, we should be able to look beyond that and uh, understand that bad things have been happening all throughout humanity and uh, all throughout the world. The struggles that we face aren't unique to the United States. Uh, they happen in all over the place in every country. The feelings that you might have, someone else is feeling the exact same thing right now. And to me, that's, uh, that's an encouragement. It's also kind of a reality check to understand that I'm not alone. Um, I'm not alone in this world and, and how I feel or, or the things that I do. And, you know, there, I think there was a time in my life where, where I thought, you know, it, every time I had a new idea, it was genuinely a new idea. It was something that was completely novel, completely unique. And, um, I, I'm starting to understand that that's, you know, that's uh, uh, certainly flattering to me, but it's uh, really ignoring the rest of humanity and how, how great humanity really is, or can be. And we should remember that we all need the same things, particularly we all need the gospel, we all need Christianity, we all need salvation, we all need redemption. We all need love and support and friendship. All those things, again, they're not unique to the times, even though suddenly, uh, I guess, you know, it is, it is new that we have, you know, I guess basketball courts painted with these slogans. Uh, you know, these... It's like people are suddenly realizing, oh, wait a second, um, maybe, maybe we can do nice things. Maybe we can be good people. Never really thought about this before. I, I genuinely think there's some people that are actually waking up to being a nice person. And again, as Christians, this shouldn't, this shouldn't have been a shock to us, what, what our world is going through right now, this revolution of... Uh, equality that really should be an everyday occurrence for us as Christians. But uh, say all that to to say that there's really nothing new under the sun. Uh, what has been is what will be, as the scripture says, as the preacher 
said so long ago. Uh, we shouldn't be shocked by it, and I encourage us not to be shocked by it, but to, uh, to look to the Scriptures, because the Scriptures give us the answer. Uh, they really do if we look closely enough, if we, if we study hard enough. The emotions and um, the struggles that we're going through aren't unique to the 21st century America. They have been going on, and unfortunately in some cases perhaps will continue to go on in some part of the world. That shouldn't be a discouragement to us. It should be a comfort to us and uh, to know that we actually have the answers. And the answers are in the Word of God. This has been the Barber's Chair. Thank you for listening. Uh, Tune in next week, and we'll see you.